Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. One for podcasting. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. All right, hour number two. Welcome back, Miller and Condon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO. With you until noon, uh, Scott Dockerman coming up momentarily. Joe Rivera from the Sporting News will talk MLB in 25 minutes. We have a White Sox price to win the World Series. Oh, jeez. Wow. Win an exhibition game, and all of a sudden, here we go. Flaunting, uh, just throwing Raina Betts around. I love it. Oh, my. This is, so, this is going to be such a fun week, man. It such is. Such a fun week. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic joins the program. Doc, Trent, and Ken, thank you for coming on. How are you? I'm doing well. How about you guys? Doing well. Got a lot of ground to cover with you, Doc. Want to get to your piece on how much uh, football means to athletic departments. You spoke to a number of of, uh, of uh, athletic directors uh, to go inside with uh, how much it means to them. We'll get to that. I want to start, though, with uh, with the latest on, on Iowa Freedom of Information Requests. Uh, is, that the, is that the right word? Right, Freedom FOIA, of Information? Yeah. FOIA. Um, I guess Rob Howe got his return. Have, have we know? Do we know, Doc? If any of the other media that uh, that asked for some of emails, etc., have they been made public yet? Do you know? I don't know. I mean, I, I guess I don't know. I mean, uh, there have been FOIAs made, and that's the one that's been returned. Gotcha. Okay. So what um, what I learned about the one that was returned and then was written about today is, uh, and it was a really good write by Rob Howe. I thought it was really well done. It was lengthy. It takes some time to read. Uh, it, it seems to me that the recommendations from that 2008 report uh, that were that were put in front of, of everybody in the, um, certainly in the football program and in the athletic department, Gary Barton knew about them. I got a problem with Kirk Ferentz. I'm back on June the 7th that he he didn't recall learning anything that alarmed him or alerted him to anything that had gone on in the past. Uh, we knew that those words could come back to haunt them if indeed something was made public. It seems like uh, here we are at that point in time, Doc. He said he was aware of the uh, the task force report. He'd read it at the time, and he'd read it beyond that. And uh, Gary Barta shed some light last month, a little bit about that report. And uh, so... You know, he was aware of it. How much he was aware, you know, are these, you know, what kind of allegations are these versus the ones that were, you know, sent out, uh, you know, June 5th? I, you know, that, that remains kind of open to interpretation. This is kind of a, a newer report. We did know about it, and a lot of the, the mentions that were in here, uh, you know, were made available in some respects, and now they're a little bit more comprehensive through Rob's reporting. But, uh, you know, what Kirk said then did – did he mean it for what he heard on, on that Friday night, or was he talking in general? You know, I guess we'd have to really go back and, and look and identify everything. But I really think in this case, it's uh, 
you know, how much did he do? How much did he did do? And, and going on, I mean, there's a lot here, obviously. And, you know, is it, did he think that allowing earrings and hoodies and hats and, you know, was going to make everything and rap music in the weight room going to make everything okay? Uh, he seemed to think that was the case. That apparently was not the case. And, um, and some of these grievances were a long time before any of those changes were made. A lot of talk about double standards inside the program in terms of the drug tests that were handed out, not just the NCAA, which are strictly random, but the University of Iowa football program also does their own. That was used a lot. We've heard a number of players talk about that. Do you believe, Doc, that there was a double standard between white athletes and the others, minority athletes inside the football program before this? That's a very complicated issue. Yeah, I do believe that in some respects there are. Is it based on race or is it based on uh, where you grew up? I mean, that that's really a, a part of this question. It's really hard to answer it you know, in, in a short period of time. I mean, if you're from Iowa, if you grew up in a small town, particularly if you're a farmer and you're used to that type of environment, it probably doesn't affect you. Mm-hmm. If you're not from Iowa, whether you're black or white or another race and and you're used to doing things a certain way, and you come to Iowa, it could be very much a culture shock. And most of the you know young African American men identified that as a problem. Iowa should have taken it more seriously. Uh, you know, when a lot of these allegations were made, uh, you know they have it seen taking some of this seriously. So you know the, the reporting is, isn't necessarily new. The the task force report was made available. Uh, some of the uh, the issues are you know, coming to light a little bit more clearly. But that said, we knew about a lot of these issues six weeks ago. So this isn't just like it just walked in the door and said hello this morning. Hmm. Use the word culture shock. I want to go to your article, and I'll use sticker shock, because when you uh, laid it out in black and white how much – look, we all know, at least we think we have a pretty good idea that football moves the needle uh, in in most athletic departments around the country. But then when you you spell it out the way that you did, Doc – I don't think that maybe even I realized that uh, just how much uh, they depend on football. That's why everybody's doing their darndest to make sure that, you know, we do everything we possibly can to have a season of some kind to pay, be able to pay for some of these bills. I guess, let me ask you this, when you were doing your research on this, of all the things that you chronicled in your piece today at The Athletic, what surprised you the most, Scott? Probably the contribution. Uh, you know, I think I, you know, I knew kind of roughly what this meant to every budget. I've been studying these, these issues for a long, long time. So that part didn't surprise me, the football revenue. and, and But the, the itemized differences between a, a contribution, uh, you know, like specifically for football, like let's go to Ohio State. You know, almost 72000 is considered football-related, uh, but then they had $26 million in nonspecific, uh, you know, contributions. Well, it doesn't take a rocket scientist or a dentist to know that those uh, that that amount of money there is, uh, you know, generated by what Ohio State does on the football field. Mm-hmm. It's not really about the the pistol team or synchronized swimming, and that's the way it is at every pistol university. <laughs> you know, it, it's like you think you know the I Club, and you see you know uh, fans dressed in their black and gold. Sure, they want everybody to win. But they're most passionate about a few couple of sports uh, and football being number one. And so that's where those contributions come from. And I think people, uh, you know, should, you know, recognize that when you're talking about the full amount of an athletic department, you know, football, 
ballpark it at 80% is worth to mm-hmm. an athletic department. So even if you cut ticket sales, if you cut anything football-related, you're in a world of hurt. And if you if it goes away, the whole structure falls apart. There's just no other conclusion you can make. Doc, uh, Ken and I had a conversation last week about the cost of scholarships, which ultimately is one of the biggest costs that athletic departments have paying back the university for having these kids on scholarship could there be a waiver of some type? I, I know there are a few schools, but it's incredibly rare where they actually don't have to pay that scholarship money back to the university where universities say, you know what, I know we're struggling too, but these athletic departments are struggling. You're still on scholarship, but that money kind of becomes funny money, and it actually isn't moved back in. Any way that that could happen for any different universities out there? Oh, well, I suppose. I mean, I guess that's an interesting question you pose there, Trent, which is, you know, could it come from the, the overall gen, uh, general fund from the university as opposed to just the athletics department? I, I guess that's right. But, you know, the, these universities are going to lose, you know, potentially hundreds of millions right. of dollars this mm-hmm. year. Uh, you know, when you're talking about students not living on campus, uh, a lot of them, I'm sure, are going to say, you know what, I'm just going to wait for another, you know, six months or something before I enroll. And, and, and just the, the amount of money they're losing it you know it makes the athletic department money really pale in comparison. So, yeah, that that could happen. But you know what? It's it's really when you talk about labor costs and what have you. I mean, they, these universities spend more in their salaries than they do in, in scholarships. So it's it, I, I think if they were to discontinue a scholarship for a year or something and not get reimbursed for it. I think that would be worse than mm-hmm. just about anything they could possibly do. Doc, can uh, the, the schools that you spoke to and, and the um, the brains that you picked, did you get the sense that maybe they could sustain not playing one year, but um, obviously everybody's going to have to tighten things up. But 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 how catastrophic would it be if there's no football? Would this be instantaneous that you know we get to 2021 and the winter sports that we start seeing some of those immediately go away what was your sense of 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 how much they could sustain before they had to throw in the towel um just a few months mm. i mean i i don't they cannot last an entire year without football i mean they can't go till july 1st of 2021 without football it just can't happen uh, if you know Maybe, you know, at the schools that don't have football, sure, you know, they can figure a way out. And basketball doesn't earn that much comparatively, I mean, as football does. But if you're in Iowa State or in Iowa or any other major university uh, losing football, you, you might as well just discontinue the entire athletic department. I don't mean to make it this dire, but it's true. I mean, you know, Jamie Pollard really laid it out well when he mm-hmm. talked about, you know, even if they move to the spring, you're talking about a half a year's worth of unfunded expenses they've got to try to come up with money for. You know, usually they get their, uh, you know, their checks in, in lump sums, three or four at a time, you know, at all universities, you know, for their media rights fees and stuff. But you're not getting them in the fall, and you still got to fund everything. And, I mean, my anticipation is that the NCAA will provide waivers, suspension waivers, so all the other, you know, Olympic sports would probably be under suspension for a year. Anyway, I think that may happen, you know, if football doesn't get played at all in the fall. And I think in some cases it's going to happen a lot, even if it does. So this is this is as dire as it gets. I don't really, I mean, we're talking Great Depression levels and the potentially the end of college sports as we know it. It's mm. just, I don't, I don't want to make it hyperbolic, but I can't get it any other way. I mean, you're talking 80% of your revenue. There's no coming back from that. There just isn't. 
swell. <laughs> Going hand in hand with that, you believe there will be fall football then, right? Am I connecting the dots correctly? I I would like to say yes. Okay. I'm not 100 percent sold with that, but I do. I think that there will be football, whether it's in the fall or in the spring. It will. If, if it's in the spring and, and they've got to cover come up with some of those costs, the, the dire part of it is that they're going to probably lay off the majority of their employees oh, and until football comes back. So, you, you know, I would say that those sports that don't produce any revenue at all are probably going to be put on, on furlough or layoff or, or something like that. I don't know about the, the athletes. I mean, and, and Gene Taylor brings up a tough subject, which is, you, yeah, you sure you can furlough those coaches, but the athletes are still on campus. So how do you, uh, you know, you, you can't tell them to, to look after the athletes because, you know they're getting, they're laid off, but right. it's uh, it, it's crazy. I mean, it, it really is, and it's something that everybody needs to be cognizant of. You can't. It, the the it's easy to say. Well, they should just wait until this is over with. Well, that's that's nice, but you know, in high schools you can, but you can't do that at this level. It's over if that's the case. Uh, to to that end, there's breaking news: California, uh, some sections of California have just moved their high school football season to December January starting point. Um, so, so everybody's thinking about it. Doc, what about, let's uh, go on that road, everybody's thinking. What's, um, have there been any ideas, any school, you mentioned the fact that they need to start getting, if they don't play until the spring, you've got six months without a check. What about, are there any ways that they can generate revenue? Um, or that's, a, that's all dependent upon playing, right? You can add an extra game in years to come, if you've, as you've mentioned you know, uh, in some of your previous visits with us. But did anybody come up with anything to you know, create revenue between now and getting back to, the, back to the games? Not really, because there's only two sports that generate any revenue, and that's football and then basketball. I mean, even wrestling doesn't quite add up. I mean, it, it's significant for Iowa, and it's not significant for anybody else when it comes to revenue. Maybe Penn State, but... Uh, so there's no way to really recuperate that. The only way they can, and this is an incredible leap of faith by the uh, by the, the television networks, is to go ahead and pay them in the fall and hope that they can broadcast things in the spring. If that's the case, the leagues are going to have to say, okay, we're willing to extend our deal by X number of years. I mean, if you're the Big Ten and, and you can convince Fox Sports to go ahead and write you those checks even without content until the spring, then uh, you, you probably should be willing to extend your deal by a year or two just out of good faith. And I would suggest the same thing out of the other schools. That's really the only thing I can say unless somebody's got a great big bo- uh, booster who's going to go, yeah, here you go, here's $100 million. And there aren't a whole lot of them right now that are willing to, to help out an athletic department that deeply without having their name on something. Uh, Doc, last thing for you, and I don't know if you've looked into this at all. I saw one of the commissioners in one of the group of five conferences I think it was last week said that uh, that he believes that the that the schools that they were they contracted to play this year will still write them that check even though the game's not going to take place and as in some cases the Pac-12 and the and the Big 10s have already been canceled. Will Iowa write Northern Iowa and Northern Illinois a check even now knowing that the games will not take place? Do you know have you seen that doc? I spoke to the UNI athletic director and he determined that the pandemic would not be force majeure on this. However, if the Big Ten is playing games and they canceled those games, then that's uh, that's something different altogether. So, Interesting. Uh, you know, and, and the, the Northern Illinois athletic director 
was convinced that they would work something out with Iowa because they have a, a long-standing relationship. You know, whether I don't know what that means in two years or next year, Iowa writes them, you know, a partial check for this and then includes more money in their 2025 game. Uh, you and I, whatever, I don't know. I mean, this is this is kind of new territory. Mm-hmm. And will they even get the games in in the fall? I think it's a Big Ten suits up and, and plays September 5th. And I think you and I is a case yeah. to get that three hundred grand. If they don't, if it gets moved to the spring, then I think you and I is probably out of out of commission. That's an interesting way of looking at it, Scott Dockerman. I'm glad I asked you that question. Uh, I, I'm with you. I think Northern Iowa's got a um, got a leg to stand on. Not saying that they'll prevail, but I didn't think they had a shot in hell. I thought Force Majeure would clearly take over. But if they're playing the day that that game was originally scheduled, yeah, I'm willing to uh, to listen to that case. Doc, great stuff as always, Scott Dockerman. Appreciate uh, what you do uh, for The Athletic and uh, that you join us here uh, seemingly every single week, even when you're on vacation. So thank you, Doc. We appreciate it. All right. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Scott Dockerman from The Athletic. Barrister Condon? Yeah. You're a I grad? Uh, yeah. You're, not, you're an Iowa fan? Yes. Went to both schools, right? You you good with uh, with Northern Iowa expecting the cat? I think you can make a strong case. Well, I anticipate what will happen is you and I will look at this and say, "All right, we can go out there try to flex our muscle and the contract," uh-huh. or say, "We do have a little bit of power for once in this relationship." All right, let's schedule a game in twenty twenty four. And bring the basketball. Let's get a home and home back together. Freddie now Mac, you're talking. Freddie Mac, make your way back to the McLeod Center. Let's get that back going. Flex your muscle a little bit. I here. like that idea, Trent. That's good. Yeah. We're ever going to get it. This is about the only mm-hmm. way, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like you and I has a little bit of... Uh, For once? Yeah. We'll see. Little brother's got a punching chance all of a sudden. <laughs> I like it. And I like that idea. I like it a lot. All right, let's talk some baseball on the other side, shall we? Trent and I take you in Tulum. Before we do that, though, KXNO and iHeart want to help you pay your bills. Text the keyword LOVE to 200-200 right now. It's your chance to win $1,000. LOVE to 200-200. You'll get a confirmation text and info. Standard data and message rates apply in this nationwide contest. Joe Rivera from the Sporting News talks MLB with TC. And I, Miller and Condon, till noon, Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, and 10. Ken Miller, Trent Condon, Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. You ready to hear that Thursday night? I certainly am. Miller and Condon, welcome back. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460, KXNO and 106.3 FM. Let's talk a little MLB. Joe Rivera covers it for the Sporting News, and he joins us. Joe Trent Condon, my name's Ken Miller. Thank you for coming on. Joe, how are you? 
Absolutely, guys. Thank you for having me on. I'm doing doing well. Hope you guys are doing well, too. Absolutely. We made it to this point. We are so close. Watched the White Sox and the Cubs last night. Got to tell you, Joe, uh, look, we've seen golf with no spectators. We've seen uh, UFC on, on Saturday nights on ESPN. But to look around Wrigley Field when they panned around it last night, uh, that's when it set home or, uh, to me that, oh, my God, this is really going to be different, but at least we're going to have the games between the lines. But it is different, Joe. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what's interesting, guys, is that, you know, you watch football and, and obviously a lot of football is, is focused on the action on the field, right? And you watch soccer and a lot of the soccer leagues globally restarting and all the actions on the field. Aaron Judge, Cody Bellinger hit a home run or they hit a high fly ball. You get a real, real nice look yeah. at all those empty seats, right? So mm-hmm. it's certainly a lot different. Uh, and seeing guys hit home runs to, you know, section 312, <laughs> three, no one's sitting there. It's, it's certainly a little weird, but... Yeah, I'm, I'm glad. I hope everybody stays safe. But, you know, selfishly, I'm glad that baseball's back, and uh, hopefully they can get this off without a hitch. Yeah, and, and as we get ready for Thursday and the two games there, of course, a full slate then gets going on Friday. Still, there remain the questions, and I think the questions that have been answered throughout this, what happens when somebody contacts COVID, well, they get shut down. They get quarantined, but we haven't seen an outbreak yet. We haven't seen a wide range where it's, six, eight, ten guys all come down with it at the same time. What is the plan for Major League Baseball? Is it still all systems go? Look, you go to your taxi squad and you make your 30-man roster as best you can with what's left there. Is that what baseball is going with if there is one of those huge outbreaks? Yeah, and you know, this is the reason why they have the 60-man player pool too, guys, is Uh that if it gets to a point where... You know, you have, you know, God forbid you have 15, 20 guys that, that somehow contract this. I don't foresee that being the case. But if you have that many guys that get it, you do have a 60-man player pool there waiting. And then hopefully all these teams balance them out, right, where you have good mix of position players and pitchers. So, again, hopefully it doesn't get to that point. I actually spoke with um, Dr. Scott Weisenberg last week. He's an infectious disease specialist based in New York City. So he's seen the worst of it, as you can imagine. So, uh, he actually he said to me that Major League Baseball's protocols, their testing protocols, are actually fairly aggressive when it comes to testing every other day. So hopefully that uh, will will catch any cases before it spreads to teammates, and hopefully we don't see one of those major outbreaks happen across baseball. What do you think right now uh, as we you know embark on the season uh, this weekend? Is the National League East top to bottom uh, throughout the Marlins? But other than that, it certainly seems like, is that the most wide-open division in your mind, Joe? I look at the NL East and I look at the NL Central uh-huh. as two divisions that are, that are very, very, very close, um, top four teams in each. You know, I, I look at the Reds and... The Reds, it really depends which way it's going to go this year, but the Reds did the most to try and improve their team this past offseason with Nick Castellanos and uh, Mike Moustakis adding to the offense there where they really needed help offensively last year. And then they had a sneaky good rotation, and you're returning uh, Luis Castillo and Sonny Gray to the top of that rotation, and you have a you know quote-unquote full season of Trevor Bauer there too. So uh, I really like the Reds. But the Annalise, yeah, to your point, it's, it is really wide open right now. Uh, which side? is going to favor, uh, you know, you're looking at the pitching, which is going to be favored to the offense, a team like the Mets there. They're, you look at their lineup, and they're absolutely loaded. Um, so it, it's certainly two of those divisions. The NL really in, in totality is wide open this year. But uh, the NL East and the NL Central are two very, very open divisions. 
It's going to feel a lot different watching these games without people in the stands watching it. It's also going to look different in a couple of the major rules. A, the designated hitter full-time for the National League. And the second part, the new rule that was in place as spring training began, a reliever comes in, has to get three, face three batters or finish out an inning. Those two impacts to the game, how different is it going to look here for 2020 in those two parameters? When it comes to the uh, the DH, I mean, it's it's only it's, it was a matter of time, right? I mean, yeah. unfortunately, it, it it came to it came to a pandemic uh, for them to put that in place. Mm-hmm. But like I mentioned, you look at the team like like the Mets, who have a lot of bats they can rotate into that DH spot and try and give guys a half uh, a half day off, which I think helps a lot. A team like the Cubs, where you could give uh, Kyle Schwarber a day in the DH, makes a lot of sense too. Um, so that certainly plays into a lot of these teams in the National League, where you don't have to really worry about. Uh, where you're playing guys in the outfield, you know, putting a hot bat on the bench, that kind of thing, which I think really helps uh, a lot of these teams. And as far as the three the three batter minimum rule goes, you know, I don't really think it was going to impact the game as much as people thought it would. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's the question of strategy, which a lot of people were, were saying, you know, you knew you remove the uh, the matchup. You know, for me, I look at it the other way. I think you were adding strategy to the game because you really got to think of which which reliever out of the bullpen you want matching up with three guys in the lineup. So, um, you know, you, you shoot that bullet and you hope you're right and you hope you hit the target, whereas, you know, you put in a guy for, for one batter and you like that. I think it makes it a little bit easier on a manager, right, when you know you can go to one guy for one batter. So uh, I think it's going to certainly it's gonna make the game look a little bit different. I don't think, I don't think that three-batter minimum is going to hurt the game as much as people think, but – uh, certainly it's going to make things, it's going to change a lot for, for a lot of these managers in the NL this year. Yeah, Joe, when it first came out, I was dead set against it. But, you know, the more I think about it, I, I've come around to your way of thinking on this. I don't think it's going to be that drastic of a change. We'll see, and we can't wait to see how it plays out. Give me a couple of teams, you know, that aren't going to be picked to win their division. You know, you can't say the Twins, the the, the Dodgers, the Astros, the <laughs> Yankees. Give me a couple of teams that you're going to be paying attention to, a couple of dark horses in, in uh in either league, uh, you know, you look at the Baltimore Orioles guys, and everything. I'm just kidding. I can't. I can't go there. You know, I'm sorry, Orioles fan. You know, uh, to, to, to be honest with you guys, I look at the White Sox. I think they're a very, very intriguing team. You know, I, I just think that you take Dallas Keuchel and you pair him with a guy like Yasmani Grandal, who is one of the top pitch framers in baseball. And you know, Dallas Keuchel's a guy who can. Uh, locate around the plate, obviously walks a little bit up, home runs a little bit up for him last year with the Braves. Maybe you want to attribute some of that to uh, not really having a full season or a full spring training uh, with, with the team. So um, I look at that. I look at uh, Luis Robert, who, who's, you know, my, he's my pick to win AL Rookie of the Year this year. Uh, he looks like he's, he's ready for the part. They obviously signed him. Uh, to an extension early on, so they believe in him. Uh, Yoan Moncada, you hope he's he's going to be going to continue to show the goods off this year. And then Luis uh, Lucas Giolito at the top, and he showed a lot last year. He showed a lot of improvement. He still's got the stuff. He's still fairly young. So I really like the White Sox, especially in a short year, guys, where anything goes, um, where no one with 100% certainty can 100% say they know what's going to happen this year. I really do like a team like the White Sox in the in the American League at least. My co-host across uh, the way, he is a Blue Jays fan, and over the weekend finds out that baseball will not be able to play in Toronto this year. I'll ask the question, since Ken doesn't want to, 
It, it seems very simple on the surface, just moving to Buffalo and, and play it that way. Yet there's continued speculation about a couple of different sites in Florida. Your takeaway from that, and, and why isn't as simple as, eh, just call up Buffalo, their affiliate, let's send them there, and a pretty decent-sized stadium overall. Yeah, I think the thing with, with putting a team like, putting a major league team in those AAA complexes is that it's not really built for a major league team. You know, Some of the amenities, some of the, the space that you have there aren't really built for a major league team, um, you know, maybe it sounds like crying over over not having being able to stay in five star hotels and things like that. But I just think it's it's a question of logistics. It certainly makes sense to move them there, um, but that I think that's also why you're hearing they might go to like a PNC Park and and, mm-hmm. and play there or other sites in Pittsburgh and play there. So uh, yeah, I mean, when you look at it, it's it's certainly uh, it's certainly a condemnation of of you know, what Canada really thinks of the way that the United States has, has kind of handled the coronavirus. That's a separate discussion in its entirety, but uh, it's certainly not a, it's not a great look for U.S. sports uh, right now that, that Canada won't want to send, won't, won't house one of their teams traveling back and forth from the United States uh, to Canada for fear of the coronavirus. That should tell you something. Indeed. Uh, Joe Rivera is our guest. Joe, my last thing for you. Uh, in, in this part of uh, the country, the Cubs and the Cardinals, they moved the needle. What do you anticipate from both of those franchises? Uh, David Ross, first, man, first uh, managerial job, the Cardinals seemingly death taxes and the Cardinals in the playoffs. Um, what do you expect out of those two franchises this year? You know, I really need to see something from Harrison Bader. If you're if you're a Cardinals fan, which guy is he going to be? Is he going to be the guy who two years ago showed a very very promising bat and he was an all world defender, or is he a guy from last year who hit 205 and and you know still great defender but wasn't really there offensively? And they're they're going to need uh, more more offense from the outfield. And I know that they have some guys in AAA and and they have some younger guys who they really believe in, but they're going to need more offense there. So. Uh, I, I like the Cardinals. I don't love the Cardinals. I still think it's an embarrassment that the Braves couldn't get past the Cardinals last year in, in the postseason, and then you saw how outclassed the Cardinals were when they got to the NLCS. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I don't really think a lot's changed there for St. Louis. And then you look at the Cubs, and we've been saying for years, guys, how talented the Cubs are on paper, right? And, you know, 2016 was supposed to be the first of a dynasty, and obviously they've had some success, but – there's also been some question marks there. They couldn't really win at home last year. Uh, you know, they should have been better than what they were. And you hope this year that um, that you Darvish is the goods, and he certainly looks like it. And he he turned it around the second half of last year. And I just think top to bottom, talent wise, and they still have some guys in the farm that can help them out. They can they can match up with anybody in the National League. So uh, again, I think that division's kind of the NL Central's kind of up in the air because the Cubs didn't do a lot to improve their team. I didn't think they had to do a lot to improve their team, but. Uh, just the talent that they have there should certainly play, especially in a short season. Prediction time. Let's get you on record. Who plays in the World Series, and ultimately, who do you have winning it, Joe? You know, I, I look at the – it's going to seem like a cop-out, but the Dodgers in the NL, I mean, they're still just so deep, guys, and they have so much talent that they could pull on. And in the American League, the Yankees signed Garrett Cole, man, and that's mm-hmm. something that they really needed. Uh, I think the, the Angels needed Cole more than the Yankees did just because of the state of their rotation and not really having that number one guy, the Yankees could probably, uh, before Luis Severino went down with Tommy John, could probably point to him and say he's an ace. But the Yankees are just, they're, they're built to either outpitch you right now between uh, Tanaka when he gets back, Paxton and Cole, or they can outslug you with Judge and, and Glaber Torres and, and the Giancarlo Stanton. So uh, I look at those two teams and I look at the Yankees coming out on top this year. I just think that, 
you look at them adding Cole, and, and they're just uh, spending time around them last year. They're a hungry team. They're a hungry bunch, and I don't think anything's going to really get in their way this year. You know, Joe, just one, let me pick up on that. Uh, have you heard anything, once we do get the two World Series uh, participants identified, once we get through the championship series, has there been any talk of putting those two teams in a bubble and playing the playing mm. the World Series in a neutral site? I mean, they're not going to have fans in their own ballpark. What about the bubble for as uh, you know, keeping it as uh, under wraps as possibly can once we get to late October, early November? You know, hopefully at that point, and and this is one of those things that goes beyond baseball, right? Because you're hoping everybody wears masks and wash your hands and and social distances. That when we get to October, maybe. We won't really have to worry about these scenarios or about teams getting coronavirus, right? I personally haven't heard anything to that nature. Right. Um, if you are, if there's not going to be any fans in the stands at that point, then there's no real point to do a bubble either. So I know I know that they're probably going to be desperate to finish out the season at that point, but mm-hmm. uh, I just don't. I think if we get to October, if we finish out a season, we actually get to October without any serious issues between now and then. I think it's just going to be business as usual. Uh, while the country continues to wrestle with the coronavirus, and hopefully it's knocked out by then. Joe, great uh, having you on. Thank you for doing this for us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Ken and Trent, thanks for having me on, guys. Appreciate it. Good to talk to you. Joe Rivera from the Sporting News as we talk a little MLB. That was a good one. Yeah, it's good to keep that name top yes. of your Rolodex. Got uh, some numbers here for you, Mr. Blue Jay. Okay, what do you got? Flat how, about, how about my White Sox? <laughs> White Sox. Everyone loves the White Sox. It's easy. Yeah, they're going to go 25 and 35. <laughs> What's their over and under? 31? 31 and a half. 31 and a half. Okay. Your go. boy, Vlad Guerrero Jr. Mm-hmm. How many home runs? Eight and a half is the number. Oh, he's going. Well, where's he playing his home games? Buffalo. I don't know anything about the ballpark. <laughs> yeah, um, I, mean, yeah I, I figure that's what you're doing over the weekend is checking yeah. out dimensions. You know, I, you know what I was doing over the weekend? I was just shaking my head that people do, do not understand why the NHL is playing in Canada and the Blue Jays can't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many times are people going to have to explain yes. before it sinks in? It, it's apples to oranges. It's, it's the same explanation that I have, I've had dozens of times. How can Iowa go to Penn State, but they can't play Iowa State? It's because of what the conference can yeah. do in terms of their protocol. It's yeah. as simple as that. It doesn't matter if Iowa State was in Coralville. It wouldn't matter, but that's not what it's about. It's what they could do as an organization. Same mm-hmm. thing here. That's why the NHL is in two Canadian cities and not in In, in bubbles. Yeah, right. In bubbles. And once you get there, you stay there. Anyways, okay, so I'll go over on Vladdy. What else? Bo Bichette. 11 and a half. A bigger number. They love that kid. Yeah, they do. Um, I'd be under on I'd be under on that. Now, here's the thing, Guerrero. He's, not, he's no longer, he's first baseman now. Yes. Which and a DH. Was, it's much like my boy Miguel Sano. Right. You put him at third base, because, hey, maybe we can sneak a couple years out of him. Right. But these guys are both first basemen, uh-huh. and that's where they'll be yeah. this season. Kavan Biggio. Nine and a half is the Jeez. number. That seems so, high. So, so hang on a second. So they've got Bichette and Biggio hitting more home runs than Flatty Jr. They Did do. Did they not watch home run derby? I, I just love this team because... Of those three. Of those... And here's the other thing. I remember their dad so vividly. Right. Their whole careers. Yes. Boy, do I feel old. Uh, well, they've, they've been, Welcome to the club. I hear you. Uh, they got a pitcher, too. They're going to Chris Bryant them, though. Yes. Nate Pearson's his name. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're not going to start him with the big club because they don't want the service clock to start, and they uh, shouldn't. All right, you have a man crush we already know on Luis Robert. Yes, how many home runs for him? Nine and a half. Over. Flying over. Doubling it, right? Trent, this guy is so good. Here's a, here's a question for maybe Morehouse down the line. 
25 years from now, very few people understand this, there's not enough hockey fans in the audience, (laughs) what number 88 will have more of a lasting impact among Chicago sports fans? Luis Robert or Patrick Kane? Oh, I, I did. Who brought three cups to the oh, city? Right, right. And is one of the best. Tough to pass that. American born players of all time. Where the White Sox won one world championship yeah, in the last hundred years. How long? How old would he have been? Four? Probably. Five? Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, give me the over. What are you doing on these bets? Um, I'm similar, I think, on the first three that we did. You're over on Robert. I'll take the under. And where I, are you I getting these from? These are offshore from betonline.ag. Okay. Um, let's see. What else we got here? Eloy Jimenez, another White Sox for you. Boy, he pounds the ball. 13 and a half. Jeez. That's going to be number. one of the highest numbers in it baseball, is. I would think. It is. It's Of this list that I've seen, these are mostly young guys that I've oh, got to this okay. point. But, uh, yeah, under 13 and a half. That's a huge, huge number. All right, now we're getting into the established vets. Trout, they have it 14 and a half. Is he going to play the whole year? I don't know. He's a guy that I could see... Something outbreaks. And he's going to pull is back. Is his wife not pregnant? Yes, I believe, yeah, has right? baby on the way. Uh-huh. Yelich, under fifteen and a half. Comebacker for him. Eh, that's a lot. No, Mookie Betts eleven. Too many guys in that lineup. Okay. Oh, El Tuve, not hit by pitch, which <laughs> I'd put it about sixty. Yeah, what did bat? Right. His first or the second of the year? When do they play Oakland? Do you know? I don't know. That's don't. appointment television. Six is the number for El Tuve. Mm, he's good. I'll go over. Uh, Giancarlo Stanton's at 14. I'm just trying to see if we got any higher numbers in here. 11 and a half, 10 and a half. Lindor is at 12. 14 and a half for Joey Gallo. Mm-hmm. I think that might be the highest number. 14 and a half. And, and to for see Trotton Gallo. Eloy Jimenez. Yeah, right there with him. At the top That's of this list. That's why there's so many people that like this White Sox mm-hmm. team. I Giolito. Mean, Five wins. What mm-hmm. are they going to get? About 11 starts? Six, 12, yeah, maybe? Maybe. For those top-end guys? Giolito's five. Is that the highest? That's five and a half for Mike Soraka. He's gonna. He's he's the uh, opening day starter for the Bravos. <sighs> five and a half, though? Yeah. No thanks on that. Shohei Otani, 71 and a half strikeouts. I know he looked really good the other night. They'll shut him down. Yeah. He, he can't stay healthy. No, no. That, that seems like a huge, huge uh-huh. number there. Oh, it's fun going through these. Jared Cole, six and a half, the biggest win total of the year. That's, that's a Got lot. a hell of a team behind him. It's a hell of a team behind him. If we're going by 2.8, that's what the truncated season, every game is worth 2.8 games in the regular season. You multiply that, yeah, that'd be about right. That'd be 18 and a half, right in there. I guess it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Can I get do. Thursday night. Two games, six and nine, I want to say, on ESPN. Yeah. Uh, Washington up first. And Scherzer Cole. How about that? Cole uh, Scherzer got hit around, I think, this weekend. I think he'll I saw be fine. That. Yeah. I'm guessing and I can't wait too. to hear him just screaming at people out there, the lunatic that he is. You know, I normally can't hear that in the real mm-hmm. game. Nobody there. That voice is going to be booming, echoing across the stadium. It's sure weird watching that from Wrigley last night. Miller and Condon back to wrap it up. Ice Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106- A Bill Reichart Golf Classic. Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. 
So I felt like I was that guy yesterday. I was oh. watching the golf. Yeah. Uh, after a delay and sixteenth uh, hole, and John Rahm is falling apart. I mean, the wheels yes. are coming off on the back nine. I flipped it on right when he ter- made the turn. Did you? So you saw right when we uh, we got home and yikes! Yeah, he trend. He was going to give the golf tournament away, so he gets to sixteen, and uh, it's a par three, and he uh, uh, he pulls his he pulls his drive, ends up in really thick rough mm-hmm. off the, on on the fringe, pulls out his wedge. Puts it in the ground, grounds the club, ball moved. You saw it right away. Saw it right away. I mean, it didn't move a ton, mm-hmm. but I knew what I saw. And so I went to Twitter because I didn't have the phone number of CBS to call in. <laughs> well, I wouldn't have done that, I hope. Um, but you've, you've seen that before, right? Yes. Guys that call in. Was it Craig Stadler that put a towel under his knee one year? I That's think at the right. Masters. Was the, that like in a trap and he can't uh, do that? Or was, was it in, in the rough? In the yeah, bush or something. Mm, yeah. I, you could be right. I don't remember where he yeah. was, but I do remember he put mm-hmm. it. But anyways, John Rahm's ball moved. And... You know, thinking to yourself, well, that's a penalty if, mm-hmm. if somebody sees this and everybody that had HDTV, which I'm assuming is 99% of the people watching, did. And then he sinks the, he sinks his chip. I mean, just a phenomenal shot. So, I mean, he was staring at maybe three at best, but more likely four. And he makes a two. But little did he know that, you know, he was about to get busted. And thankfully... It didn't have anything to do with a finish, right? Yeah, he still won by what three? So did yeah, he's won. Yeah, ended up yeah, he was nine under, and the, uh, the runner up was six under. Palmer, yeah, uh, Ryan Who Palmer, just right? Couldn't couldn't quite get a charge going at him. No, it looked like he might though, because Rom was trying to give away. But did you see what I saw? Yes, absolutely. And I mean, it moved a like dimple. That? Do you like that? This is the way that we can decide golf tournaments. Well. I don't know. It was, we broke the rule. It is a golf it rule. It's not like there's an official standing over right, every shot. Right. And it was TV. I mean, he would have got away with this if it would have been a shot. If it wouldn't have zoomed in on the ball, he would have got away with it. Not that he was trying to get away with it. I, I truly don't believe he saw it. I honestly don't. Murph and Andy, two fanatics for Morning Rush tomorrow morning at 6 a.m. Thanks for being here. 1460 and 106.3 FM.